2: Little Peep has lost his sheep and can't tell where to find them.
3: Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary
1: Buses. We are here to discuss the second episode of season six of the Netflix show The Crown. It's titled Two Photographs.
2: Yeah, coming here today, I couldn't help being struck by the two very different cultures at play here. Saint-Tropez, Scotland. And later on, Vanity Fair's royal watcher, Aaron Vanderhoof, will be stopping by to talk about the photographs in question.
3: But first, let's do a quick recap. Diana and Dodie are getting closer, and that causes concerns for the palace.
0: If one were to imagine a friendship between the Princess of Wales and Dodie
2: Fayed becoming a committed relationship, there's not just the potential damage to the royal family from a public relations point of view but also a fear that his father might use the association with the Princess of Wales as leverage and leave the authorities in an uncomfortable position.
3: Charles and Diana seem to make peace with their co-parenting situation. All right, she said. Giving a brave smile of the runner-up, not the winner. Let's be brilliant at divorce. Thank you. A photograph of Diana and Dodie kissing on a yacht sells for an eye-watering amount of money, causing a paparazzi frenzy.
0: The images have proven lucrative beyond anyone's wildest imaginings. And now that photographers realize they can become rich overnight, interest in the princess's private life is unlikely to die down anytime soon.
3: Meanwhile, Charles stages his own photo shoot to win back the front pages. How would you feel about doing a counter photo, you and the princess?
0: Hasn't everyone had enough of photographs?
3: All right. So there's obviously a lot to talk about with this episode. The writers very shrewdly give us a kind of two-part framing device with these two photographers. The episode's called Two Photographs. I think what I kind of want to ask you guys up front about this episode is this is where we're getting into some real life stuff that like may or may not have happened vis-a-vis Mohammed's involvement in hiring photographers etc etc Diana takes a photo the famous landmine photo but that was not in the Balkans that was in Angola in real life so they kind of mushed some things together for that obviously we'll, we'll be talking to Royals experts who actually know the truth of this stuff um you know on this episode and all other episodes of the crown but um does that bother you guys? Like, how how much are you looking for like exact historicity, and how much are you looking for a good story?
2: I'm looking for a good story. I could read a you know a, a biography of Diana. I could read Tina Brown's biography of Di- uh, Diana if I wanted just the facts or whatnot. It's there's a, you have to create a narrative, and mm-hmm. I do think whether or not Muhammad did call the paparazzi to. Get that yes, photo. The, the
1: official story, just so that yeah. we know, is that uh, Mario Bruna, the paparazzo, just happened to spot the boat. He lives in Monaco. And so yeah. he was that there. Is, yeah. That, is why, yes, that mm-hmm. is why he happened to be available to take those pictures that made him a millionaire. Um, mm-hmm. Just, yeah. This
3: show suggests that it was all Mohammed. It yes, was all Mohammed. that it was a
1: setup, and that it was specifically engineered in order to push Dodi and Diana's relationship
2: into the public eye. Yes, and further down the line, which while that may or may not be true that's a heck of a lot more interesting than a guy just being like oh there's princess Diane on a boat like that's <laughs> that's not as, that's not as compelling and it does sort of set up a more of a sort of a Shakespearean narrative it for does, I, it does th- but
1: I I sort of see what Richard's saying too which is in setting up Muhammad as more of a villain are you then kind of taking some of the some of the pressure off and some of the blame off of the royal family. Yes. Like Charles specifically, which, you know, I, I feel like maybe we've we've talked about this already. I think maybe earlier seasons of the show were a little more Critical of Queen Elizabeth specifically, and maybe not of you know the project of monarchy spe- as a whole, but I do think that in these later seasons, like it's ve- they're very sympathetic to Charles. We talked about the breakdancing. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're,
3: we're all breakdancing right now. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> we have amazing breath control, um, but yeah, I, I think that the show does want you to. It wants you to have sympathy for Charles and it wants to not have him be a bad guy. Like it has uh, her dropping the kids off. She and she and Charles have like a last conversation where he's like, hey, can we be friends? And she's like, I would like that. And that, yeah. that I don't good. know. I, I feel like that's a little that's yeah. it's pad. It it makes the Charles stuff. Also, like more dramatically inert because if he is just like kind of a bad guy who, you know, stumbled into a bad situation, then I don't know, he's not as interesting of a character either.
3: Yeah, I'll be curious to hear what other people think of this episode because I think passing the blame onto. A depiction of a conniving brown man do- pulling mm-hmm. the strings. It's just like, guys, is that really where you want to point this? Like, it's no one's fault. Ex- I mean, it's no one person's fault.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know,
3: it's a horrible accident. It's called an accident for a yeah. reason. It was avoidable, certainly. Uh-huh. But like, but yeah, it, there's know.
1: it's you know, it's a perfect storm kind of thing. There yeah. are multiple things that had to go wrong.
3: But for now, I'm just I'm a little bit like a li- one ear is kind of perked up where I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I, the, the way they're
2: framing this is kind of yeah. interesting. Oh,
1: there's maybe sort of like a like a Jafar like mustache yeah. swirling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, thing happening.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And especially with the uh, focus on uh, photography and this whole season, there's a lot of we're seeing a lot more shots of like the paparazzi mm-hmm. hounding Diana and, mm-hmm. and like and hounding her and Dodie and whatnot. And for and the kids and the kids. Yeah. And for Mohammed to be responsible for the photograph that then sent the paparazzi to be so so crazy, and that was sort of the death knell for them. It does. It is a little like. Ugh, that's... But
1: then does also make it a more interesting story because you know it's it's a it's kind of a classic Greek myth sort of thing where he mm-hmm. is the cause of his son's own downfall. It's you know he you know wished on the wrong thing and got his wish in. A the way that he never way.
3: wanted yeah. to. Yeah, he's Daedalus
2: who made the wings for Icarus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he
1: watches him fall into the sea. He watches him crash yeah. into that tunnel, and it's something that was his fault. Yeah,
2: which according so I, to the show, according to the show, which I guess I will say for future episodes, I would be, sh- I will, I will be looking and hoping to see. Muhammad and the actor that plays him get like a really big moment of like yeah. a reckoning or some scene that makes this worth it to make that makes uh-huh. him see the error of his ways or m- humanizes him beyond like a brown villain who is you know manipulating these like little white dolls that it, right. Diana is <laughs>
3: right. Yeah, Salim Da, the actor, he's so good. He is so good. I hope good. that he gets some awards attention because he, I think he's going to be in a lot of this season. Yeah. And well, uh, I, I think
1: that he's he is doing. A good job and a part that could have been flatter if the yeah. person playing him weren't as charismatic.
3: I think also the juxtaposition of Mario Brenna, the photographer you mentioned, Hillary, real, who is a real person and did become a millionaire from these this one set one of photos. One set of photos, <sighs> which is wild. Um, including the beautiful... I mean, I hate to say it's beautiful because it was taken in a bad way, but like her sitting at the diving board in the blue suit, which is the poster is for the, the poster terrible for Naomi the, yeah, Watts. Yeah, which
2: is the Tiana
3: movie. Um, but the mm. way that they juxtapose that with this, oh, just cheery little Scottish <laughs> photographer who takes respectable photos of the laurels when His they wife ask His is like, to, I like,
1: you like the queen more than me. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's like, like, I do. Right?
3: That felt a little bit like... <laughs> Should we just like, do the
1: rest of the podcast in our not. little Oliver <laughs> twist accent?
3: I have some, um, <laughs> some, like, stuff you could black your teeth out with, if you, or you want to put fake soot on your cheeks or something. Fresh and uh
1: you Drink. Uh, I'm sorry, Emily. Yeah. Our producer is actually British, <laughs> yeah. so now I feel bad.
2: <laughs> it's done out of this, respect, just know, like that photographer. Bl- Everywhere she, you know, everyone
3: she talks to all day in England, that's what they sound like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that basically saying here's the respectable way, mm-hmm. and like part of it is it's not wrong. That is to ask their permission and show up when they ask you to, and mm-hmm. take a couple photos, and that means that all the photos are taken. Now we are done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's better than certainly chasing someone into a tunnel in Paris. Well, yeah, and
1: they have Mario de, like describing himself. He's like, "We are hunters, killers. Yeah. Like it's it's a violent it's yeah. a violent profession." The way he describes it.
2: Yes, but I'm going to push back a little bit on sort of the crown and them being less critical of the crown because that was so manipulative of them to hire their royalist little photographer mm. to clap back at Diana mm-hmm. to show that oh Charles the the good. Dad, the good father, mm-hmm. out with his kids while Diana's, you know, kissing a random man on a boat,
1: kissing a brown guy, kissing on a, a,
2: boat. a brown guy on a boat. Yeah. When Charles is wearing his kilt with the kids, I think the show was showing that uh, the crown was being manipulative right back. Yeah. Like M- Mo was being manipulative, but so was the, the Queen, and they pulled out their ringer and they were like, "We're gonna use this guy because he loves us to take these photos to." ruin Diana's public image.
3: Yeah, and like Charles's chief of staff or whoever that is, the, the PR guy. And Mark Boland. Mark Boland. He's he, a real guy too. Yeah, he and that actor's really good who plays him, but um, he kind of lays out the sound of the dog whistle. He's like Mediterranean, kind of sleazy, like, you know, pizzazz, whatever. And Scotland. then here we are in Scotland. It's, you know, it's respectable. It's whatever. Like, obviously those optics were heavily in play at this time. And I think that the balance that this episode does is smart. To be mm-hmm. like, here here were the two extremes as the public saw it, mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of talk about how those extremes came to be, you know. Yeah, and, and it about, was all calculated. Yeah, it, yeah,
1: and shows the ways in which they're unfair, too, because, you know, we also see Diana at her landmine conference, and she's trying so hard to, you know, spread awareness about this very real issue that's very mm-hmm. close to her, and that is her chosen goodwill mission. Yeah, and Post-HRH.
2: Like, it's her first thing, exactly, really, that she's know, doing. All, at,
1: they all they care about is Dodie.
2: All they care about is Dodie. And I think that's why
3: the episode's not called Three Photographs, because mm-hmm. As famous as the Diana landmine photo is, not as famous as the, her and Dodie on the boat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, yeah.
2: Or Charles and the kids who right. did not want to wear kilts. <laughs> no, because they're school. I mean, if you would,
1: you're a 15 year old boy, are you trying to wear a kilt in a picture with your dad? Well, I
2: mean, for Chris and
3: I, maybe. Yeah,
2: <laughs> honestly, how much of my <laughs> leg is showing? I okay. wouldn't have called it a kilt necessarily, <laughs> yeah.
3: but um, miniskirt. Um, yeah, no, I I think that uh, yeah, the, the the scene with the um, the boys taking the photo, those photos were iconic. They mm-hmm. you know, as we said, they were in like teen magazines in the US and everything like mm-hmm. that but they were just as much of a show. And actually yeah. Diana and Dodie, that's not a show. They didn't think they were being photographed. Yeah. They were he was instead in this show's argument mm-hmm. betrayed by his father.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and uh and I mean it does also show a bit of the of you know still Diana not just being this like uh helpless, you know, pawn she I well, are we are we to believe that when Charles's like uh, guy tells him that Diana told her favorite journalist that Charles spent the weekend with Camilla and he didn't want to see the boys? Like, did that actually? Did, does the show saying that that's actually happened? Is he just like trying to
2: manipulate Charles? Like,
3: I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure.
2: This is a question that I have, and maybe it's clear. I feel like the show is saying. Uh, or has said Diana was really in love with Charles the whole entire time and that mm-hmm. Charles was emotionally unavailable because he was in love with Camilla and that's why the relationship didn't work. Was that always what people thought, that Diana was truly, madly, deeply, helplessly devoted to Charles uh, and that he fumbled uh, no, it? No, definitely okay, not, yeah. That's, I felt like, I was like, that's not how I well, even remember it. I thought it was, you know. You're referring to the thing where she
3: they're at the car, the boys are in the car and they're talking and saying, like, we're going to have a great divorce. So proud of you.
2: Thank you.
0: Can I make a a request? Even though we weren't brilliant at being married, can we, um. Can we be brilliant at all this? I think so. And
3: not just for them, but for us too. And Diana's like, well, I'll just, you know, she she says nobly, you know, despite being second uh-huh. fiddle. And it's yes. like, second fiddle? You didn't like him. You didn't like him.
2: And she <laughs> said know? there are other moments, I think, in the first episode and in this episode where she, connecting with Dodie, she was like, you know, like, I loved him and he didn't, you know, then my life was a nightmare. Uh-huh. Where I was like, I didn't, I never believed that Diana really liked Charles all that much.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also in the show kind of argued, you know, she sort of. She was trying to hook a fish too when she first met him. Like, mm-hmm. is like that she wanted to be the queen of England. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Who her older want...
3: sister was supposed to be with Charles, mm-hmm. exactly. then he saw her. in that season. <laughs> yeah, I think the dynamics of that are interesting, and I, I do think in some ways the show is not entirely sure where it wants to put any sort of moral favor. It maybe it doesn't have to. I mean mm-hmm. it can be ambivalent about yeah. it, you know. It mm-hmm.
1: can just kind of throw all the possibilities out there yeah. and, you know, leave it to us to use our own biases to decide what we choose to believe.
3: Yeah, and I think that, you know, for all of Diana's, you know, gallivanting, which horrifies the Queen and everyone else, like, there is a genuine bond between her and Dodie that I think is well drawn out. And we also see her being so good with the kids. Mm -hmm. And when she says goodbye to them, we're understanding that as the last time, right? Like, and I think that makes those scenes so poignant. Yeah, well, the scenes
1: between her, yeah, between her and the kids for sure, but then that that last scene with her and Charles was landed on thick. (laughs) it's a little bit
3: like, no, Charles is great. The show (laughs) has always been very pro-Charles. Super, super
1: pro-Charles in a way I think it sticks out yeah
3: well I think it's maybe, maybe that's yeah. just
1: though because I assumed because of press that Charles is despicable yeah exa- which is <laughs> you know and as much a narrative as anything on this show I guess right you yeah. know there's another side yeah
2: because they're always like ah oh, Charles he's so brilliant if only he could have a chance to like he shine. Uh, he, just,
1: he just he just wants to modernize the monarchy and nobody uh-huh. is uh, nobody believes him and mm-hmm. yeah and uh, he's so intellectual and yeah I don't know have you
3: ever seen the video of um some people, like kind of mountain bikers, were out biking on the Balmoral Estate in Scotland, which is like massive. And they just had and they had GoPro cameras, and they just happened mm-hmm. to run into Prince Charles alone <laughs> on a walk. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking to them like this, like the Prince, now King of England, just talking to these random guys.
1: When is this?
3: This is probably in the last ten years. Okay. So
4: is this your summer vacation to Balmoral? Well, yeah. Is
0: it? The weather was better. Yeah, I know yeah, it was typical. Yeah. The, images
3: are horrendous. yeah. the worst, the worst I felt this year was this morning. Yep. yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's like Charles is a fucking alien. Like he's so <laughs> to, to, to borrow Mrs. Blair's line from the first episode, like he's so weird. And it's like. Oh, maybe he did break dance however long ago, but this is not a normal person. Yeah. Like, and I think this show like just trying to. He can't,
1: like, speak like a human being. He's talk. like, oh,
3: yeah, it's just, it's very stiff and mm-hmm. sort of like he just Connect. has no. Like, this. these people are so beneath him in the sort of social hierarchy that it's like, mm-hmm. aren't you supposed to be bringing me something or whatever? <laughs> like, uh, you know, and I think that this show casting Dominic West, which is.
2: Crazy, crazy, It is crazy. We have to, like, to say it. He you is know, so
1: much handsome. <laughs>
3: it's
2: <Yeah>. absolutely <laughs> astounding. And it's warping yeah. my perception of what Charles is exactly. like. but that's <laughs> all part of this
3: show's weird pro-Charles bias. No, I don't mm-hmm. know anything that— I, I Look, we know a lot about his brother that's bad, mm-hmm. concretely. Yes. yes. I don't know that I know anything concretely bad about Charles other than what we can kind of assume someone growing up in that becomes, mm-hmm. you know. Well, but they, uh, yeah. you,
1: you know that he carried on an affair with Camilla in a very blatant and, like, very— you know, publicly mean kind of way during his marriage. Like, you know, you can you can say what you will about their
2: spotless record.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like their their love obviously was thwarted for like dumb reasons. And Charles and Camilla should have gotten married in 1980 or whatever. And like none of this would have ever happened. Uh But, you know, when he is married to Diana and still like not even trying to hide the fact that he has basically another wife. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty awful. That's a pretty, pretty awful thing to do to somebody. If Charles
3: and Camilla had gotten married in 1980, <laughs> would Meghan Markle still be on Suits?
2: <laughs> <laughs> suits would still be running, and yeah. the world would be better. Suits at. might
1: have never existed.
2: Suits. <laughs> it might have been called
1: coats. The, the butterfly know. effect <laughs> of this is, is too much.
2: Bomber to jackets. In. Mind-boggling. I, we, with Camilla, this was the episode, if I'm not mistaken, where Mark Boland is like, you could be queen. Right mm-hmm. is where they finally yeah the public is finally talking about you yeah. as a possibility as a for possibility that. Yeah. and that like they're
1: forgiving you they're yeah. forgiving
2: you and is that something that you would and asks her point blank period is that something that you would want is that something that you would like mm-hmm. and yeah. like she's like I could never say the word I would never do it but like it's interesting to think of like those machinations because it took a hell of a long time that's it's what twenty twenty three like that <laughs> for her to sort of get there and for that to happen for many reasons but to think of that strategic conversation happening mm-hmm. is so compelling to me mm-hmm. as like wow like not only is she trying to just like marry the love of her life but she's got to think about how am i going to make yeah. all of the british people love me yeah, yeah. or at least a, tolerate me
1: yeah and like and they yeah, and that project is going to get a lot more complicated after the deification mm-hmm. of their boyfriend's uh, ex-wife
3: yeah. okay. i think the tension that this season and and look the arrival of Diana was is what began it obviously but like of the the royal family realizing that the public's attention is elsewhere because media consumption is changing we're talking about early internet i i mean these diana photos were mostly disseminated in newspapers it, mm-hmm. it wasn't really an online phenomenon because a little too early for that but like we're seeing this family turn AOL, to confront, keyword diana, right, f- right, diana exactly picks. yeah <laughs> um we're seeing the family sort of slowly turn to face the fact that like What's coming for them is a continual fight for relevance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that Charles, in these two episodes, these first two episodes, being so indignant about like what, but I want, and it's like, who, who, what are you going to read? A polite write up of a birthday party, or you know. A, three young men, three men in Scotland, you know, standing on rocks or or sexy lady on a a yacht. Like and I think that, you know, obviously they've contended with those problems in the past, but it's really like the late nineties into the two thousands when the royal family is really like, wait, people just don't innately care about us anymore
1: and also that he feels entitled not just a positive press but like unambiguously like enthusiastically positive mm-hmm. like it can't just be like tacitly approving it has to be vocal like full-throated we love you kind of stuff right. which the, which yeah. is interesting and like pathological in its own way too yeah
3: but like but he wants the stuff that was engendered by you know his mother, mm-hmm. but his mother like saw Britain through a lot of tough times. Her father saw them mm-hmm. through World War II. Like you know, we're talking about an o- older generations mm-hmm. of people who really saw them as emblems of the country. People in the 90s and who are hit Charles's age or younger were like, eh, "What have they done for us?"
1: Yeah. Well he he learned Welsh that one time. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah,
3: yeah. Sure. yeah.
2: yeah they only the only people that care about him is that old photographer. You know, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the only guy who cares. Right. yeah. I do think, and I uh, it's sort of a question because in my head. was Diana the most famous woman in the world? Yes. What, you know, she was objectively the most yeah. famous absolutely. even before her death because yeah. that's the thing that I like. Yeah. Absolutely. And the resentment that you feel this episode from, I mean, you feel it from the queen all the time but from mm-hmm. Charles, from the whole, it's so palpable because they sort of created this mm-hmm. monster. Yeah. <laughs> they created, it's kind of like.
1: It's its like Frankensteinian. Yes, yeah.
2: where they created the monster, they created the most famous woman in the world who's set out to destroy the monarchy and I, right.
3: love, and I love that. Which is why, I mean, this is me putting my tinfoil hat on, but like, it's why Kate Middleton was so carefully selected because she stays in line and she's very pretty, but she's not too pretty and she's not going to be on any yachts. Like, you know, like that was like a very, I'm not saying, I maybe I think that William and her genuinely met and loved each other and whatever and still do. But I do think that Kate Middleton was a very, very... Anti Diana choice, yes. very deliberately,
2: calculated. And then Harry went and you found know another and found another Diana. Found another Diana in, a, in his own way. Well, uh, a different. Yeah. sort of different, but yeah. also more similar than Kate, at least. Right.
1: Imagine Diana's lifestyle blog for just <sighs> one moment. One Goop caught moment.
2: dead in a ditch. <laughs> yeah, what she be doing? That's a, that's a. <laughs> great... Well, she
1: would have had a uh, she have had a column for her psychic. Oh, Who she visits on a, in a helicopter in yes. just like a throwaway scene? That was
2: amazing. What love, is the budget I the on this show? I, lo- I love yeah. to
1: think of Netflix just giving like three million dollars, just being like, hey, you know, whatever. Yeah, we'll yeah. have five seconds of this helicopter. No
3: dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth is like this is terrifying. Some small time. Like, but I love the psychic just running up with the wind, you know, on her, and she's just, as if, as if this happens every day. She's like, oh yeah, come on yeah. in, you know.
1: That does sort of feel like yeah. a detail that Peter Morgan read, and he was like, this is so good, I got to find a place for it, and then it was like the day before the end of the shoot and he's like oh no oh, I, I want to psychic <laughs> yeah. thing in
3: it does show me like you know because I didn't pay a ton of attention to this before it happened I remember being woken up on my mother to be told that Diana had died oh. but like I totally had missed that Dodie fully was engaged to someone that that was, that that was like a big matter of public like mm-hmm. that was of scrutiny obviously mm-hmm. because it was like wait a second you know this woman who was jilted in the course of weeks adds an interesting element to it does it Does it make Doty seem worse, or does it make their his love to diana like feel that much stronger i mean i you know
2: well i will say not to say anything ill of kelly fisher our colleague um i her (laughs) suing him we we have to explain that there is a kelly fisher who works at (laughs) vf with us she's
1: not in fact the same kelly fisher she's not actually the
2: same she has another last name too kelly fisher butler but okay so, so say nothing ill of kelly fisher the model the model um suing him for the broken engagement that is weird to me mm-hmm. that was like what breach what? of contract the breach of contract yeah. that gives like okay so did you love him or did you just want to be a billionaire right wife mm-hmm. right.
3: well it's uh, that's always a question in this world you yeah. know whether it's yeah. the well
1: and so that's also sort of proving muhammad right i yeah.
3: guess yeah. oh yeah right exactly exactly
2: Her. i believe that Doty's love i feel like how could you not be infatuated with diana mm-hmm. like she's the most famous woman in the world she seems lovely and sweet and sharp and and she seems
1: fun broken
2: and fun in a way that a lot of people aren't. So I do believe that he totally fell head over heels with her and was like, yeah, let's let's do this. I'm more interested to see Diana's perspective on their relationship or when we're going to see like how in it is she like how yeah. in it was she yeah. like
1: is she just doing this cuz it's fun to go on a boat or yeah is she really interested in him as well
2: Yeah and that we haven't really I feel like fully parsed yet cuz right now they're yeah. just like having fun
3: she's <laughs> still sort of something of a of a mystery I guess and you know that's deliberate I think that like Diana was sort of unknowable and yeah uh-huh. I thought it was also interesting the way this episode did a little bit of sort of like economic history where it was like the paparazzi for me, this was like the first time I'd really heard that word was th- surrounding this story. And then mm-hmm. obviously in the celebrity realm of the 2000s, it was mm-hmm. such a thing with all the starlets and all all that and for to my mind, it was always like, well, there's just this sort of like weird species that just popped up and it's like this episode is like, no, there was a legitimate economic incentive here. Yeah. This one person made millions of dollars, and so why wouldn't everybody else try to follow suit? I mean, yeah. or of, of a certain, you know, people who are willing to do that, and it doesn't. I mean, I guess it humanizes them. It doesn't make them more sympathetic necessarily, but like, money was at the heart of all of this. These aren't these paparazzi aren't just doing it because they're obsessed with chasing celebrities.
2: Yeah, yeah. and adding to that. Diana knows them by name because they're around so much, and mm-hmm. that they like she's like, "Oh, that's Tom. that's George. How's her kids? Like eh, that there's a relationship there. They're not just like random vultures mm-hmm. who are picking apart this woman. It's like it's their careers and well,
1: and it's a symbiotic relationship in a lot of ways, yeah, because
2: she needs them in a way. and mm-hmm. as if much, she's going
1: to steal focus from <laughs> Charles and Camilla, yeah, she's going to
2: take away from Camilla's fiftieth birthday party. <laughs> then she better be on good enough terms with them, I mean, it's wild also that she was thirty six. That is really, especially to be, you have like a son who's like a 15, 16, a 15 yeah. year
1: old kid. Yes, yeah, she was so young when all this started. She was 19 when, when she got married. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 19. Just insane.
2: Yeah. It's really put, putting all that together. Yeah. Yeah, you know the story of Diana. You know, I know about the Beanie Babies. I know about the car crash. I know. <laughs> to
1: be fair, there's only one Beanie. There's baby.
2: The, one, the one Beanie Baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we talk about Camilla's Beanie ba- Baby collection. That's <laughs> of course. Yeah. But when you put the all Diana wants the, the one she doesn't have. <laughs> yeah. She never will. Yeah. Um, but when you put it all together, the eight weeks with Doty, the the divorce, uh-huh. the kids, it really just makes it sort of like the most compelling soap opera narrative of all time.
1: You can understand why this story is as fascinating now as it was 30 years ago, why Mm -hmm. we're probably going to keep retelling it over and over and over.
3: And impossible to resist. I mean, my mom, who woke me up in the middle, me and my sister up to Mm -hmm. tell us, like, Ph.D., scientist, very smart person, woke up real early to watch The Wedding, because mm-hmm. she was already obsessed with Diana, yeah. like everybody was. It was just—it was such an interest because she was this breath of fresh air in this musty old institution, mm-hmm. which turns out was the problem. Because the musty old institution didn't want the fresh air; it yeah.
2: thought it wanted. To. No, it no.
1: wanted to be stuck in that <laughs> crypt, <laughs>
3: yeah. and
2: yet they needed her, and they could have done such good stuff with her. That's sort of the, another part of the tragedy is that, like, if they had embraced her mm-hmm. instead of being like you're in or you're out, like, yeah, something really world changing mm-hmm. could have transpired. Yeah. But they wouldn't let her in. Uh, You're going to
1: start singing songs from Diana the <laughs> musical. <laughs> yeah. What should we do an episode about? A pretty, pretty
2: about girl in a pretty pretty dress. Oh, we, we honestly sh- could We should do an <laughs> episode about it. <laughs> we should. Yeah. Cuz
1: I haven't seen pretty, since pretty too. Girl.
2: Yeah, that's a good I know some <laughs> you of those just songs. perform it. I could just do it. <laughs> but it just it's really hard. It's just it, it ugh, I'm not on the queen's side right now, I'll say that. <laughs> heaven forfend Christopher (laughs)
0: you forget yourself
1: (laughs) still watching we'll be back in a moment when we return we're calling out Vanity Fair Royal Watcher Aaron Vanderhoof
4: Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.
0: The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation.
3: So this episode sets up a battle of two photographs that were fighting for attention. But who is the ultimate champion?
1: So to help us navigate this world of royals, we're going to phone a friend. We're going to ask one of our Vanity Fair experts to weigh in.
2: Yeah. Today we have Vanity Fair staff writer and co-host of the Dynasty podcast, Aaron Vanderhoof. Hello, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me.
4: get yes. to talk about my favorite topic. Yes, it's so
1: nice to have a real royals expert because yeah. I've seen every season of The Crown, but I do not know as much about the royal family as you.
4: Well, and I think that this episode actually gets into what I think is really perfect about The Crown as a viewing experience, but then obviously very frustrating for a lot of the experts. Like, I What Peter Morgan does a great job of is doing one very particular view of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, the more you stay in this world, the more you understand the way that Everybody else has very different opinions, and, like, mostly everybody does—you know, that it's not things that really contradict, though. In this episode, there is one thing that I was, like, very surprised, a choice that they made that I was just like, oh, wow, and then sent me down a rabbit hole. (laughs) So uh, in this episode that we're talking about, episode two,
1: it's called Two Photographs. It's a kind of compare and contrast narrative between the paparazzo who takes the pictures of Diana and Dodi on the yacht. Um, According to the show, he is put up to this by Mohammed Al-Fayed, although it seems like that is something that the show invented. Um, and the royal photographer um, who shoots uh, the princes and Charles in in Scotland looking, you know, very— yeah.
2: The like, revenge photo. Yes, very, <laughs>
1: yes. very like, fresh-faced and wholesome and— In the uh, kilt. Yes, yes, in the kilt. Um, so, yes, you were about to say something when I mentioned that—about uh, the paparazzo and Muhammad al-Fayyad,
4: so please. So I, I think—I will say there's a lot of debate about who— who put um, Mario Brenna up to that? Um, the person that I've who I have read who's like the most firm that it was Diana is Tina Brown. Tina Brown has mm. has so she written, thinks Diana actually reached out herself. Yes, and that the reason was that she wanted to make her other ex boyfriend Hasan Khan. Mm. she wanted to make him jealous. Okay. So I, on the other hand, there's a lot of debate about whether it was somebody close to Jodi, somebody close to Diana, whether it was—I mean, I I think that, you know, it's one of those things that cannot really be definitively
2: disproven. And for himself said
4: it was just like happenstance, that it just, like, happened. Yeah, what
2: does Mario Brenna say? Yeah.
4: Yeah, he said that he was—you know, that he got a a hint that they might be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that the decision in context makes so much sense because we've spent, you know, more than a season kind of building up Mohammed al as this character who has his own ambitions and aims and like really trying to take him on his own terms, even if that's not totally flattering. I think that in the context of the story that this episode is telling and that the season is telling, mm-hmm. you know, I think that f- that view of Doty... I mean, that actually, I believe, is what his accent really sounded like. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. um, the actor said last time around that uh, he had—the only um, sound of his—recording of his voice that they could find was him calling into Larry King Live.
0: Wow. <laughs>
4: yeah, in, like, the 80s. So that's really what he sounded like. But I think that kind of him being this kind of more hapless nerd who's pulled in a lot of directions is very different from, you know, I can remember reading—honestly reading about it in Vanity Fair when I was— Probably eight or nine. That like the idea of this like international playboy mm. who, you know, was
2: party boy and wild and crazy. <laughs> but
4: maybe now that it's like an adult, I understand that people can be that and nerds yeah. also just big, deeply. Whoa, nerds. whoa, whoa! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I do really think that, and it comes back to the world. So you get the sense that everybody is playing with something that's a lot bigger and more risky and dangerous than they can even understand. And so I think that I think that making Mohammed, the person who puts in the call. I mm-hmm. I think if if we're in the long run trying to look at this at like you know Mohammed, the guy who bought the house that used to belong to the Duke of Windsor, mm-hmm. the guy who bought the yacht just to renovate it, the guy mm-hmm. who you know sought out Diana in the right place. If we're looking at him as like a player in in this game in that way, you know, I think it, the story that that. The, the season, last season, and the season is telling, I feel like it was a really great choice. I'm really curious for the rest of the season, you know, how how he's going to deal with it when his son dies. Because yeah. what we know from real life, he actually just passed away about two months ago. Mm. And he was crushed by the death of his son. His entire life was sort of formed around it. He became, like, the biggest proponent of all the conspiracy theories. Mm. Like, it really, really crushed him. And so I'm, I'm interested in... If seeing his role or his imaginations in their, you know, meeting is so important, I wonder how that's going to play into the rest of the season. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that's really interesting because we've taken some issue or some of us have taken some issue with pinning it all on Muhammad in <laughs> terms of like, oh, like a scary brown man is not pulling the strings and is responsible for, you know, Diana's death. But from a narrative perspective. Perspective, and as this is, as you said, it is a you know fictionalized narrative based on true events. It does, it is a compelling narrative in mm-hmm. terms of his overarching um, sort of motivations mm-hmm. and objectives. Uh, I want to sort of go back to the actual two photographers because as a you know, a novice in the royals world. I'm like, oh, well, obviously they both were real and existed and this definitely happened because it's on the crown. So Mario Brena, we know, is a real person. He's a real guy. Uh, Duncan Muir, the, the royalist photographer, was he a real guy? Is that a real photographer? So there
4: are a couple of, so there are a lot of different royal photographers that this could be. I mean, it really does seem both in appearance and in vibe, like a lot of different guys I've met before. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've, and there is one guy named Duncan. There's a couple people whose last name is Mirror, who, like, could we could be talking about. But, like, of that day, the picture that's the most iconic with, like, Charles kind of, like, looking out over in the kilt, mm. that was taken by Tim Graham, who's one of my favorite, you know, royal photographers, and he's really lovely. And I think that the idea here was to—I mean, I think with Mario Brenna, like, they're putting him in a really specific situation they kind of do need to have the specific person. And 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 making the money off of that photo, like, changed his life. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, you know, that's something kind of more documentable. On that day, there would have been a much bigger, bigger press pack. And that idea that— The day that the Charles and— Yeah, and mm-hmm. Balmoral. Princes. There would okay. have had a larger group of people that came out for that. But I think that what the portrayal is getting at that is really true, and I've experienced it in my interactions with these people, is that— Especially in the U.K., the reporters themselves, some of them have, you know, more complicated feelings about the royals and others. Some of them are really doing this to promote the monarchy. Others are really doing this because it's just their jobs. Mm -hmm. But the photographers, I feel like pretty universally that are the full-time royal photographers, have so much respect for Mm. Queen Elizabeth. That thing that she's the person that unites us is like a thing that so many different people could have said. And it's just very, very True and accurate about the way that a lot of these people approach their job. I'm sure that many of them are are crusty and old. and
2: <laughs> No
4: offense to the show's the show's actor. He looked very distinguished. Distinguished mm-hmm. is a kinder way. A specific, to say that. T-
2: yeah, but a specific type of distinguished.
4: What I what I love the most is that the the guys who were probably that age in. 1997 are a lot of them are still at it and Mm. they are they have so much they have like have to have so much stamina to do it and every time I've seen it in person I'm just like you guys I really hope that I'm anywhere like close to as enthusiastic about this yeah do you want to do you
1: want to share any of your in-person experiences with
4: uh, royal royal photographers well, or royal press? My personal favorite is I have been on a boat following oh. Prince William, uh, but oh. I was with his press people. They invited me to be there. Mm. But the incredible thing is like when you so – it's like, you know, half reporters, half photographers, and the photographers were all lined up to get pictures. But when you turn, you know, your um, your orientation relative to William changes, and so then all the photographers go running to the other side <laughs> of the other boat – and you have to then, all the reporters have to then run to the other side of the boat so we Boats don't... Boats can tip, cap, over. tip over. yeah. <laughs> they can And do it, that. it's when you say exhausting, you mean literally... Yeah, and it's, it's We're raining. doing cardio. Yeah, we're doing from cardio. From port to
2: starboard. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh,
4: my God, look at mm-hmm. him. <laughs> you know, a thing or two about a thing or two. <laughs> Nautical nonsense, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is that people are so, so serious about it. And I I, mean, I think you even know from watching, I think Framing Britney Spears is the one that did the best of talking about the economics of that industry and how... In the 90s they just totally changed and made it so that one good picture could change your life Mm -hmm. and now it's not like that but it i think that the news photography the people who you know that there are very few opportunities in news photography now where you get to take Um, lots of pictures of photogenic people who show up where they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. at the time that they say (laughs) they'll be there, and that there are people who will be in, in the historical record so you can build a portfolio of, like, iconic pictures that will matter someday. And so I think that you just get, like, this tier of people who are super, super, super dedicated to and really love what they're doing. So that's, like, the contrast is, like, somebody who's really trying to get that image that's going to change their lives versus the people who are there trying to m- nurture those relationships and want their images to be, you mm-hmm. know, something that will last. Yeah, and so-, so Diana doesn't have access really to
1: the—well, the, the well, I mean, she has access to any photographer that she wants, I guess, in theory, but she doesn't have, you know, the royal corps kind of like at her beck and call, and she has to deal with, you know, she even when she's giving the— paparazzi, something, you know, in order to try to barter with them a little bit. She's still kind of at their mercy.
4: Yeah, I think that the one thing that this episode of Too Far Does Really Well is understanding that even in the 1990s, like, there was already this sense that an image of Princess Diana could be worth a lot of money, but it's not until you get the first images of Princess Diana, like, dating that, like, the mm-hmm. frenzy goes from... And I think that we're laying the groundwork for why is it... I, because I think that when you learn the story of what happened to Princess Diana, and, you know, I remember the night she died really vividly. I don't understand. I mean, I, I loved her so much, I guess, which is why mm-hmm. I do this as my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that it is really hard to understand, like, what was so important about that picture that night that caused so many people to be following them. And we're the episode kind of lays the groundwork for... There has been this exogenous reason why the worth of a photograph like that has skyrocketed mm-hmm. recently, which means that a lot of people are looking at this could be something
2: really important if yeah,
4: I get the Mario right Bruna photo. Yeah, if Mario I can become a millionaire. Yeah, I can, yeah. too.
2: Yeah. yeah. What have you thought of the season thus far? The first two episodes.
4: Oh, I I think that the the moment I knew that I was really just going to have a great time was when uh, Tub Thumping by mm. Chumbawamba dropped. <laughs> I have to say that's not very accurate. Like Diana, probably I feel like Diana. She, did, is, she was not a Chumbawamba. She was fan not a Chumbawamba fan. that life. on the record. We
2: know that to be true.
4: <laughs> well, it's more. I think that this this happened last season too. But I, I I loved it. But they had they had a moment where she was listening to Mazzy Star, and another mm. one where she was listening to uh, or you know, it was, it, it was like diegetic, but Um, Girl Like You by Edwin Collins and it's like Princess Diana's musical knowledge stops at Simply the Best like she really really likes 80s pop she loves Billy Joel Uh she loves Elton John she's less like a 90s girl but they do a great job of you know really locating you in the moment did she
2: like Smash Mouth? that's the one (laughs) (laughs) we do have to know that sadly
4: sadly I feel like I feel like the Smash Mouth Diana like overlap the Venn diagram was so short that I don't think we can know for sure Mm. but it's really the greatest
1: tragedy of that 1997 car crash. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. This is very inappropriate. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> but true. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, time to break out the yacht rock and celebrate the 90s.
4: And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a
2: very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots, I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead?
1: There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh.
4: It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague Heidi Blake
1: at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the
0: ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away?
4: There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So
0: basically, I'm a hostage.
2: And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere.
1: Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All right, before we go, let's once again... Look at the time capsule that is this show. Um, There's a lot of 90s culture thrown around, uh, obviously, because it's set in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did anything kind of retro jump out at you guys?
1: I mean, being in media, I uh, was just looking at the 11-page spread in a tabloid magazine, yeah. like can you can you imagine having that much real estate?
2: <laughs> all that no all ads. that
1: paper. That wow. means you
3: have eleven ad pages to sort <laughs> yeah. of balance it out. Well, right? Yeah,
1: well, and and also just the idea that you could become a millionaire based on one set of pictures at a time when everybody just didn't have a camera with them all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, because their phones couldn't take photos. Yeah, now they, any Monaco, they didn't
3: have
1: phones. They didn't even. have phones like that. I mean, some people did, but
3: <laughs> now any Monaco teen could have <laughs> taken those photos. Would have put it
1: on TikTok yeah. and everybody yeah. would have forgotten it. they would have got a, a million. Likes, but, but that's there,
3: not a million dollars are teenagers in Monaco I've been to Monaco twice I don't think I've ever seen a teenager who seemed to live there <laughs> yeah.
1: according to the crown there's a bunch of American teenagers in Monaco in, in the next episode <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll see
3: them oh okay that is true. Well, that's true that's, that's an interesting tea <laughs> stay tuned for next week the episode of the crown about Monacan teens yeah. <laughs> who speak
2: English yeah. <laughs> um yeah, similarly to Hillary um, from a media perspective uh at the very beginning of the episode where they're talking about Muhammad's um, citizenship and whatnot, and they are like, and we just started this new website, royal.uk.gov, and it's just like three photos on an html page right. so. that, like someone made in like internet class literally
1: yeah. <laughs> in the computer lab yeah. computer
2: lab and it's yeah. so and this is like the royal family <laughs> i used hypercard to make you this yes. yeah. it
1: is actually not very much more sophisticated now oh
3: no. it and really go, isn't royal.uk
1: is. royal. yeah. uh, still exists God. please it's,
3: it's, that, that patreon link is rude come on guys <laughs> you, you, have enough. <laughs> you have enough that really that really sent it me it
1: takes you to the uk attacks website <sighs>
3: mm-hmm. i just liked all the kind of nostalgia like Duranti. T-shirts and mm-hmm. you know Daft Punk music cues and stuff like it doesn't feel overbearing the way the sh- I, it's actually like kind of just beaming me back into to that time which you know because this is now I was fourteen so it, I'm that was old enough that I remember that you remember, I, I remember the summer
1: of nineteen ninety seven I do I remember feeling
3: some of that music and some of those things mm-hmm. so um it, then eventually in this season I think in the latter half we're going to get into like much more modern and then I'll reject it <laughs> <laughs> so close. Close. once we're in yeah. 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 two oh, no, thousand. All right, well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can email us any questions, concerns. Do people have theories about this? Maybe. I don't know. We'll <laughs> if see. If
1: so, I got bad news. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, Actually, if you have a theory, please send it. Well, yeah. I'd be curious to read it and remind you what year it is. Uh, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can find me on various social medias at Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on the same
2: ones at Christress.
1: And my handle is Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday for episode three. Looking forward to seeing you then.
4: The Oscars are almost upon us, which means now is the time to start catching up on all of
1: the buzz from this year's award season. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of
4: Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone.
2: I mean, that's how you know you really love and trust and respect someone, is that we can absolutely fight.
4: Paul Giamatti.
2: It's
3: like,
0: holy f- He <laughs> <You> just nailed <laughs> the f- out of that, sorry. <laughs> and America Ferrera. It's like yeah. people standing around for hours,
4: just waiting to like be a part of this cultural moment. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening
0: now.